0: Jeremy Heslep, Pastor Jeremy Heslip will be leading us today. Jeremy, I was hoping for a little bit bigger intro. <laughs> I mean, a little song, or he's so great, or but that nothing. That's just nothing. It's Jeremy, here you go. All right. Well, as you just figured out, uh, Darren isn't going to be here with us this morning, so. Yes, it's too late to stay home, and getting up now and leaving would be super awkward, so I guess we're we're stuck here as a group. I've actually joked in the past and said that when I spoke, I'm going to give gifts out, or we're going to make only big announcements, so that way people want to be here. And I've joked in the past, but you know what, today I'm straight up going to do it. I have two $10 gift cards to, to Starbucks. Cindy Kohler is getting one for sitting up front, and Sarah Cave for being there with Blaze. Look at that. A new mom right up front. So there we go. So maybe that'll be my new thing anytime I speak. People are way more likely to come. So Darren commented on a post last night when it was kind of discovered that he wasn't going to be here and he said that you get, uh, just in case he's wrong about grace, he said you do get double points on your heavenly credit card account for attending when the pastor is away. I'll remind him when he gets back that there will be no credit cards in heaven. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that one. But for those who don't know me, my name is Jeremy Heslip. I'm, I'm typically the guy standing right here uh, with a guitar. I did realize today actually that Jason and I look pretty similar, so you may not even realize that it wasn't me sitting there. <laughs> but, you know, when Darren, one of the reasons I connected with Darren uh, a long time ago, 13 years ago now, it, actually a little bit over 13 Years that Amber and I have been doing ministry now with Shannon and Darren. And one of the things that really attracted me to Darren uh, first off was we were in a season of life where we really needed to have Scripture become new to us and fresh to us. Um, when we first got here, we were engaged and uh, we were about to be married and, and Darren and Shannon were a huge blessing to Amber and I and we've been married now 12 years. And what I love is that Darren has this amazing ability to take a passage of Scripture and just have it come, come alive to have it be fresh and have look at it from an angle that I had never seen it before and continue this 13 years later. That happens every week. And and I would love and get encouraged by that. And one of the things that I love about coming here and being a part of this this congregation, but one of the things that I feel that our Sunday morning gathering should be is definitely a time to to hear uh, the word, have it come alive, study scripture. But I also feel it's a time where we can come together and encourage each other, and share stories of what God has done uh, to us and, and through us to edify the church and to uplift us and build our faith. And this year, it's been an interesting year in the Heslop household. Darren's asked me to speak now a few times, and each time I've said no because I told him, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't have the mental capacity. Uh, I'm completely exhausted, and I have no idea what I would even say. Um, and July 3rd is when we, we brought Lily home. Uh, from the hospital in the last four months have been fun-ish <laughs> and I've joked about it before in saying that she, she is a lot more vocal than Micah was in the first four months but now that she has kind of turned a corner and, and she likes, the, likes us and she smiles and, and laughs and um, it's such a better experience and, and Micah is happy to, to have a little sister now too. I say now, because there was definitely a moment where we're sitting in, in the bathroom after his bath, and he, si- he goes, Lily, go back in mommy's belly? <laughs> Nobody. But the other day when Amber actually left the room and Lily was in the crib, Micah crawled in and was just laying with her, playing with her toes, and he goes, mommy, I like Lily. So that's where we are. We're coming out of a, a little bit of a fog, <laughs> and and I told Darren a while back that uh, he, he and I both have shared little bits and pieces of the story that I'm going to share with you today, and I, I felt like it was something I needed to share to the whole congregation in its entirety. And so I told Darren, hey, next time you're out of town, I'd be happy to speak, and so that's where we get this this week. I'm also pretty excited because my parents are here, uh, here from Pennsylvania, and uh, then my niece and nephew. Or back in with the kids. My brother-in-law had a major back surgery, spinal fusion surgery on Monday. So he was going to spend some time in the hospital. So uh, Jocelyn and Chase hopped in with Nana and Grandpa and came in and joined us uh, this weekend. So it's exciting. You know, I got to see a situation and be involved in a situation this year that ha- will completely change my life for the better. I got to see God in control of a situation that I literally had no control of. And before I dive into that story and share more about it, I wanted to read a scripture. And that's from Mark 16, verse 15. A lot of you know this scripture. He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, when they would drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. No, we're not going to talk about snakes or demons or anything this morning. It's that first, first line, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. When I think of that, I think of being on mission. And for me in my life, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of being on mission. Just curious, with, a, with raising your hand, how many people have ever been on a mission trip, but either... In the States or, or outside. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of us here. There's something special that happens when you're on a mission trip. There's something, you're, you're extra bold, you're extra confident, and there's, you're willing to be stretched beyond what you normally would be. It's because you're on mission, you have a mindset, you typically have been prayed out, you, your church maybe have sent you on, your family has, has sent you on, you, you are ready to go, Bible in hand, you have... Uh, whether you're uh, going to be doing a service project, you have the tools, or whatever it is you're prepared to ready to go. In the military, when you're on mission, you're also ready for anything. Your, your weapons are loaded, your supplies have all been checked, you're ready to go, you're on high alert, you know what your, your purpose is. You know, I've noticed something lately for myself and for people around me. It's oftentimes in my particular life that when it's a mission that comes to me, or surprise or surprises me that's when i'm faced with the most difficult but most rewarding mission of my life so let's pray real quick god we come before you this morning we're seeking to hear a word from you lord god i pray that that you would use me god that you would use this this story that you crafted this beautiful love love story and God, I pray that people who are here are, will be blessed and encouraged by what I'm about to share. In Jesus' name, amen. So the beginning of March this year. I was driving from my office to Vanderbilt because this was a huge day. This was the day that we were going to find out whether or not we are having a boy or a girl. And Amber was piling Micah in the car when all of a sudden uh, she had a knock on the door. And that's why I received a call. You said, I'd been driving to the hospital, and I'm all excited sitting there thinking, I wonder what this will be like. If we have another boy, we kind of already have this thing going. We don't need to buy anything, at least not much. If it's a little girl, well, that's a whole new thing. And, and I've been seeing people post pictures of daddy-daughter dances and things like that, and so my mind had already started going to, hey, that would be kind of cool if we had a girl. But all of a sudden, I got a call from Amber, and she said, they're on our doorstep. And I said, what do you mean they're on our doorstep? And she said, our neighbors, they're, they're on my doorstep, and they need help. So, well, what's going on? She said, they said, well, uh, Melissa's sick. And she's asking me to take them to the hospital. I don't know what to do, Jeremy. What should I do? I said, well, do they have any idea what's going on? And she said, well, I, there's a chance that she might be pregnant. I'm like, oh my goodness. Because in my mind, they're, they're around 15, 16 years old. So I'm like, we'll take them to the hospital. If they don't have any family or anybody that can take them, just drop them off on the way to the ultrasound. We'll, we'll figure this out later. Plus, the, being at the ER takes a little bit of time. So that's what she did. She, she dropped them off at the hospital in Williamson County, and we found out that day that we're having a little girl, and we celebrated, and we're so excited. And then we went to dinner because they, they weren't done yet. And after we were done eating our glucose like normal, we, uh, we checked in, and we found out they were done and ready for a ride home. So we picked them up. They were a little bit quiet for the first mile or so, and then all of a sudden, they said, "Well, she's pregnant. She's 12 weeks along, in fact." We're like, "Oh my goodness!" We knew just a little bit of their situation. We see that the boy, his name is Jay, and I got permission, by the way, to use their their actual names, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, <laughs> if you were wondering, I would be if I was sitting out there. Um, see, ten and a half years ago, Amber and I bought our house in in Franklin. And there was this little boy that was at the bus stop, and he'd be there sometimes when I'd be going to the gym, uh, and sometimes he'd just be walking by. He'd have these random swords, just a lot of, a lot of things little teen, teenage boys would do. They'd be playing out back, and he asked for permission to cut through our yard at times, and I, I'd let him. And he'd just randomly be around, and then uh, he started asking for rides, and I got the sense that his family wasn't uh, wasn't that great. But I started giving him rides to friends' houses and different places across town, and uh, from some of the things he would say, I'd always make, a, make sure that he emptied his pockets, make sure he didn't have any type of drugs or anything like that, because I'm not going to jail for taking a kid on a ride. But, <laughs> but I started to learn a little bit about his family situation. and It was a broken home. Who he called mom and dad were actually grandma and grandpa. His mom hadn't been around. Uh, he actually doesn't even know what she looks like. It had been s- since he was six. He had never seen her. Found out that uh, Jay, really along this way, realized he's actually 19 years old. And this, just the family situation was, was difficult. And I started seeing, I remember in high school, he was a real small guy, and I, I was sensitive to that because in high school I was pretty small. And I saw a couple times people picking on him at the bus stop. I saw a bigger kid grab his hat and chuck it on the, you know along the, the grass. and So that, I made sure that my time to the gym always corresponded to when they were there, and I made sure to point, say something to him so that way the other kids knew that he had a big friend. And I did notice, I'd watch out the window, and I'd notice that those, that stopped pretty quickly. But in this moment, they were on our doorstep. And I'm sitting in the car realizing that it's a 19- and 20-year-old couple who needed help. And they just found out, probably for them, the most horrifying news that they could ever experience. And I quickly I prayed, God, what should I do in this situation? And I did exactly the opposite of what they expected. I turned around when we parked and said, congratulations. I know this wasn't planned, but you have a little baby growing inside of you, and that's something that's extremely special. Can you tell your family? No, 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 we can't tell the family. They'll kick us out. They did kick us out last year, and we were homeless for a few months. At, at that point, I think they were 17 and 18 when they were homeless. They both had dropped out of school, uh, found out uh, M- Melissa's situation, she didn't have anybody. That's why she lived at that house. So we left them, and we said, hey, you know what? You're not alone. We're going to walk this journey with you. So why don't, why don't we take tonight, and just to think about this, and just, you? I know your brain has a lot that's going to process, but let's connect tomorrow. So over the next few days, we uncovered a lot about the situation. We found out uh, that they both had been in pretty abusive situations, uh, especially uh, the girl, Melissa, had had, a family member who went to jail, actually, for so much abuse to their, their family and to their girls. and So she was actually kind of on the run. That's why she hadn't, didn't have a family to go to. It was pretty intense. We started learning more and more about their situation. Quickly, we also found out that they hadn't been eating. It had been two days since they had eaten. Now, I want to remind you that we're living in the middle of Franklin, in a nice neighborhood, two houses down from us. They haven't eaten in two and a half days. So Amber and I started, started feeding them very quickly. And also we realized, well, this baby needs nutrition. So Amber got her really good, uh, the multivitamin for uh, the pregnancy and prenatal vitamin. And they were, they were just shocked right off from the very beginning. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you very much. And then we started taking them to get some food. Because one thing that we knew very early on, and we've experienced this in countries like Haiti and Africa is you can want to tell somebody something all day long, but if they haven't eaten in a few days, you give them a meal, they're going to be in a lot better headspace to hear what you have to say, and they're going to be much more open to hear what you have to say. I had a conversation with, with Jay early on. I said, What's your plan? What are you thinking? And she, he's like, Oh, I think we'll just, we'll probably just get an abortion. And I felt like in my heart and my spirit, I felt like God just told me very specifically to tell him. And I looked at him and said, No, you're not. You are not going to abort this baby. And I could tell he was not expecting that. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, And let me tell you why. And, and we talked for a period of time. I talked about how if he does want him to spend time with Melissa, if he wants long term, then that's the last thing he needs to do. Plus, this is a baby. This is not a, a fetus. This is not all these things that the world may tell you. This is a little baby. And that brought out the ultrasound and showed, this is our ultrasound. This is our little girl. This is what you have growing in Melissa's, uh, in her belly. And so he was like, oh, okay. Um, and then we just kind of left that. So Amber and I started learning a lot about them. But ultimately, we started talking to them about adoption. And Melissa was very open to adoption uh, because she actually had been adopted. And her big thing that she wanted to know was make sure that there were that she, If she did adopt this baby, that it would go to a good home, so what we did is we kept talking, we gave them the number we did, I did some research to find out some different areas, and we came across Bethany Christian Services here in nashville it 's a great organization for adoption, and we gave them the information and said, "You just need to call this number and then a week went by, and every time we 'd see them, have you called no no i haven 't i've just you know, been busy, and you know, I was like busy doing what like <laughs> You guys don't have jobs, you don't have this, you're great people, but what's the reason? And finally, on a Sunday afternoon, they were at our house and I said, what if I called right now? What if I get somebody on the phone? Oh, well, it's Sunday, they won't answer. What if I tried? Would you be willing to talk to somebody? And they said, yes. So I went outside and I dialed. And one thing that's great about Bethany Christian Services is somebody will always answer. They always have somebody Who's on call. And somebody did answer. And I explained the situation, explained what was going on. And they said, we'd love to talk. So I brought the phone in, put it on speaker, had our first conversation with Bethany Christian Services with this couple. And they agreed to meet with one of the workers. So we knew, wow, this is, this is great. This is heading in the right direction. But this is still somebody who hasn't really seen a doctor. And so Amber did research and talked to her own um, OBGYN and found out that they would, they would see her and they'd be able to get an appointment. So over the next few few months, our lives were very different. Quite often, we would be taking them to appointments. Amber, who's pregnant herself, who has a toddler, is taking, the, taking Melissa to her ultrasounds. They found out she's having a little girl as well. Also, we started asking people to pray. And I started posting on the Conduit Forums. You guys might remember this. And, and people started donating some gift cards because we wanted to make sure that uh, they had a refrigerator that was stocked with food. And that's been a huge blessing. We made sure that they got a phone because she didn't have a phone. And I wanted to make sure that if she needed help or if she needed to talk to somebody, that she had the ability to. So we made sure that she had a phone. In the middle of all of that, there was... A, an opportunity for me to call the police after a domestic uh, issue happened at their house with somebody who had had too much alcohol, and one day I opened the door, and um, Melissa was on the doorstep just bawling her eyes out because somebody had hit her. And so I called the police, and what was pretty amazing that day is the answered right away, the dispatch sent, and I was pretty surprised to see, well, there's like five different police cars that all showed up for this one domestic violence. I found out the next day that it was because Jonathan Hobson, who comes here, was the dispatcher who answered the phone. And as soon as I said Jeremy Heslop, I was like, why didn't you tell me it was you? He's like, well, it's kind of a fine line. I don't really know if I'm supposed to. But also, you needed help. So I made sure that you had help. I was like, <laughs> yeah, like all of Franklin PD came to our neighborhood. <laughs> but that's just an example of one little, one little thing that happened. Even that, that time when Melissa spent the night on our couch, and actually in our extra bedroom, because Lily wasn't born yet, so we had an extra bedroom. And uh, she came to church with us the next day. It was really encouraged. It's the first time she'd been in church in a very, very long time. Amber would take her to to get shop, to go shopping, to get some new clothes because things weren't fitting. Realized it was the first time in years that that had happened. Fast forward a little bit, July 3rd is when our little, little girl Lily was born. A couple days later, we're, we're going home. It's that Tuesday, and... We go home, get settled, Amber's recovering, and our little baby is, is here, and at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm actually changing Lily. And I look down, and I have a missed phone call. Look down and think, hmm, why is Jay calling me at 3 o'clock in the morning? I should probably call him. So I call him, and I start talking. If anybody's been around uh, a woman in labor, there was a very distinct sound that she makes, and the tone in her voice <laughs> was very crystal clear as to what was going on. And I told Amber at 3.30 in the morning, I need to take them to the hospital. I think she's in labor. But, Jeremy, she's only 28 weeks. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty intense. What, what are we going to do? I, I, I don't know, but I'm going to take her to the hospital. So at 3.30 in the morning, we get in the car. We drive there, and I, they don't know, but I'm timing because <laughs> I could figure out. I know what we're supposed to be doing. And so we get to the hospital, and actually, I said, well, why don't you guys get settled? I'll run in and, and prep. Prep them, and, and so when I walked in, actually, Amber's doctor is walking out. Well, this is 3.30 in the morning. She looks at me, stops, and goes, ooh, wait, what's going on? Because instantly she thought, oh, gosh, what's wrong with Amber? And so I explained what's going on in the situation. She said, okay, get her checked in. The nurses will call me if they need to. So we get them the checked in, and I go up to them to the, the birthing area, I guess, whatever you want to call it, the birthing floor, and um, – and all the nurses look at me because we'd spent a couple days because Amber had a, a C-section. So they were, we, we knew who all the nurses were, you know. And they knew me and they saw me and they were a little bit confused with what's going on. And they saw this, this other couple. And when they took her to the room, I, I, I was able to gather all the nurses say, here's what's going on. I, th- I think she's having this baby. I think she is in labor right now. And I want you to know that she doesn't have anybody. Nobody's coming here to see this baby. There's nobody going to be there to hold her hand. She is scared out of her mind right now, and the and the boy that's with her, he might be a man by age, but he's about 14 right now, from life experience. They're all weeping, and God even knew in that situation that they need a little bit extra help. And one of the nurses that was there that night was actually uh, somebody I had hired at work, uh, his wife this Christian lady, and she looked at me and said, we will take care of her. I promise you nobody will leave her side. And then I ca- called um, Bethany Christian Services, got a hold of the person on call and said, hey, this baby's coming today because they realized 28 weeks this baby is going to be here. At that point, they're, they're calling Vanderbilt to see do they need to rush her to Vanderbilt, and they decide no, things are going well. So I dis- discovered at uh, well. I decided at 5:30 in the morning I needed to go home because I have a family I needed to take care of, and there were nurses. The person from Bethany Christian Services was going to be there. This the situation was going to be taken care of. So that baby was born healthy, very small. We knew very very quickly that the baby was going to be in the in the hospital for a few months, but she was going to make it. We were so so excited. And a few days after this, uh, we, we knew that um, a family had to be chosen pretty quickly, and everything was on an, a, a timetable that was quicker than we expected because of how early the baby came here. And they decided to name the baby Macy Moon is what Melissa decided to, to name her. So they had to go to the court. They picked a family. They did the paperwork at the court courthouse, did all of that, and uh, then Melissa calls us and says, hey, well, actually, texted us and said, we picked out a family. We have this book of this family, and I'd love to come over and show you who we picked. And we said, yeah, this would be phenomenal. I, we'd love to see that. So she comes over to our house. I, that, I think it was a Monday. We're sitting there. She's looking through the pictures with Amber and I walk over to look at the pictures, and all at once I felt like somebody just hit me in the gut. My breath was completely taken away because I looked at the couple on the cover, and I knew them. This girl named Libby, who I worked with for the last four years, she and her husband were the couple that they'd chosen. I just sat back and I literally went back and sat on the chair because I didn't know what to do. I just told Melissa, Melissa, you guys chose so well. I, I know them. They're a phenomenal family. Your, your little girl is going to be taken care of. She's going to be with a mom and dad who absolutely love her. And I got the opportunity to tell Melissa how much God loves her. Amber and I shared with her, you know, we, don't, we know you're a little bit confused right now about what you feel about God, what you feel about faith. But I need you to know that none of this that has happened these last few months happened by chance. There is a God that absolutely loves you. There's a God that absolutely cares for your little girl, Macy. And this is going to be all right. So she's crying. I'm trying to hold it together. And then when she leaves, I realize, I have to get a hold of Libby right now. And so I'm texting all kinds of people from work because I didn't have her number and because she actually had just started a new job. She wasn't there at my company anymore. And I got Libby's phone number. I finally got it and sent a text message that said something like, Libby, I have a story for you. And uh, it involves your little girl, Macy, because the next morning is when she's about to meet Macy because she hasn't met her yet. So, of course, I get a text message back about five seconds later that says, oh, my gosh, well, okay, yes, yes, can I call you right now? And I'm like, absolutely, you can call me. So I answer the phone, and it's Libby and Graham on the phone. And I get to tell them this amazing story about how God used Amber and I to be in Melissa's life, to have an entire church praying for a little baby they don't know, and how this is their baby. And after a lot of, lot of tears on their end and a lot of questions because they got to hear a lot more about these parents of, of their child than they ever would have heard had this not happened. They were, they were nervous. They didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't know the history of why they were getting this baby. They didn't know any of it, but they all, all of a sudden got to hear a whole bunch of information. And at the very end, something that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. I got to hear Graham say, thank you for saving our baby. Whew. Talk about heavy. It's pretty amazing to think that God would use a story like this in our lives, in one of the busiest years of our life. It's, this is going to be one of the biggest faith builders of my entire journey of walking with the Lord. It made me start thinking, though, am I ready for when God brings all the world to my doorstep? I'll expand that to say, am I ready for when God brings all the world to my workplace? Maybe to your school, to the gym, to your own neighborhood. I've noticed a theme in the Bible. As I've read, especially the New Testament, oftentimes some of the biggest miracles happened when Jesus or the disciples were on their way somewhere else. When Jesus was interrupted, what happened? Well, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. He showed love and compassion for children. He spent time with women in a time where they were not valued and didn't have a voice. He calmed storms. He made the blind see, lame walk, deaf hear. He raised the dead. He showed compassion. He taught us love. All of this happened when he was on his way to something else, But then I ask again, am I willing to be interrupted? Am I willing to pause what I'm doing on a daily basis to help someone else? I'd like to say that always the answer is yes, but the truth is it's not. I mean, how mad do we get when somebody cuts us off in traffic, and I wanted to be in this lane, and I wanted to be here, and no, that's, we get interrupted. Or when the waiter brings the wrong meal, or it's not cooked exactly how you asked. It's those little things that interrupt us where we just... We get to test that whether or not we're willing to be interrupted. A friend of mine from work, his name's Brent Long. He shared with our team a story that he walked through years ago. In uh, he walked through a three and a half month period of time in 2005 with a homeless guy named Jeremiah. Brent and his family poured into Jeremiah in so many different ways. It was so intense for a three and a half month period of time. And then one day, Brent dropped off Jeremiah. And never saw him again. He says still to this day, he, he's still as always as looking for Jeremiah because he wants to find him. But he said that God shared with him five things that Brent calls his five lessons that he learns from Jeremiah. Here there's five. I think it applies to the stories like what I'm talking about and the idea of whether or not we're willing to hear from God or let our pattern be interrupted. One is listen to their heart without judgment. Two, love them for their needs Three is lend a helping hand. Four, lead them to a known solution. And five is to lock them into a lasting relationship. So you listen to their heart without judgment because their judgment is a natural thing. Most people have their judgment thing great. We're going to judge them for what they did. Even in the situation you, that we dealt with, the first thing you want to be like is, oh, well, why did you guys do this? We didn't know until later that a doctor had told Melissa that she'll never have a baby. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that explains a little bit here. It's hard to not judge someone. Love them for their needs. Because most people have needs, especially if they're coming to you. There's something specific that's a need. Lend a helping hand. Just being there. Giving a ride. Having a conversation is helping a hand. Giving a helping hand. Lead them to a known solution. There are absolutely practical solutions, oftentimes, for situations we're around. In the story that I shared, that was Bethany Christian Services. That was a practical solution. But locking them into a lasting relationship, you see, that's Christ. Pointing them to Christ, the reason why we're helping, the reason that we're involved in the situation is because we have someone who loves us unconditionally. You know, one of the things that Brent said was, I can't force them into that part, that relationship. We all need Christ to be involved, and he's very much our known solution too. But we can't force them into anything. That's actually a pretty freeing thing for me, is knowing that it's not up to me to save someone. I don't have the power to do that. But I sure can share with them my experience. I can introduce them to the Lord. So I started thinking about, practically speaking, how can we prepare ourselves to be ready for when God brings the mission field to our door? And I thought of three things. The first thing is be prepared. Be prepared. I heard a leader at my office say once that says, when it comes to being prepared for leadership, if you're waiting for an opportunity to become ready, you've already missed it. The more prepared we are, the more that we're going to be able to help. I was not prepared to handle this situation. Amber and I were not prepared to dive into their lives today. But you know what? There are some people who, who were. Darren was a huge resource of, of how to connect with, with people and what to do uh, Lynn Simpson was fantastic at pointing, and she works with a, a crisis pregnancy center here in town, and she had some ideas. And we were able to find the idea of what we should do pretty quickly. It's not just being prepared, but the second thing is being aware. Being aware is something that I think for most of us is actually extremely difficult. A few weeks ago, I got to be a part of a two-and-a-half-day uh, advanced handgun tactical training course, which was every bit as awesome and manly as you th- thought it could be. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that the instructor taught us was that there's four different levels of alertness and awareness. There's condition white, condition yellow, condition orange, and condition red. See, most people walk around in condition white. They're completely unaware of anything that's going on around them. They're just going on with their day. They're just sitting there. They go to job. They go to work. they While they're driving, they're probably texting. They have no idea what's happening around them. Then there's condition yellow, which is just you're aware. You can see what's going on. You know how many people are in here. You have an idea of where the exits are in a practical sense for the situation. There's condition orange, which is there's something out of the ordinary. There's something that's wrong. There's some part of the situation that probably needs dealt with, then there's condition red where you are actually engaged in some kind of activity. In our course that was when you're involved in some kind of uh, a gunfight. There's physical, there's something that's happening. But one of the things that he taught us was that you should always walk around in life in condition yellow. You should be aware of what's going on. Because so much happens in condition yellow that determines whether or not it turns to condition orange or red, or you're able to see what happens around us. In condition yellows, you can see that person who comes in that seems a little bit unstable, and you get the opportunity to talk to them and engage with them, because you don't know what they're about to do. You have the opportunity to just call out something that seems out of, out of the ordinary. And in, in military and in police, that's something that they taught quite a bit of trying to figure out how to stop a situation before it's ever a situation. When I think about condition yellow, being alert and being ready, I think about that's the way that we should actually be with our faith and our walk with Christ. We should always be alert, always looking for what the enemy might bring our way, always be ready to jump into action if needed. You see, if most of those situations can be stopped or avoided in condition yellow, then if we're there, we get the opportunity to stop something or, or, or be the unsung hero. He also said something just as a little side note that I'll never forget, he said, there's no, no shame in running away in a situation. And it I was different in the course of being in a handgun class. He said, there's no, nothing wrong with seeing a situation that feels weird and grabbing your family and leaving that situation. And I started thinking about that in the last few weeks because he talked about a situation where he was driving to a mall and he saw two guys with big, huge, oversized um, coats and hoodies and kind of a duffel bag walking into the mall. And he said, that's not that weird, except for it was like 90 degrees. And he said, you know what? I think I'm going to keep driving today. No, Probably nothing happened that day, but he had the presence of mind to not, not be there. And I wonder how many times in life, if we're in condition yellow, there's something that happens in our life there's a temptation that comes our way that can be avoided if we saw it ahead of time. Remove ourselves from the situation before it becomes a threat, before anything happens. It's not fleeing as much as it is a strategy. So we talked about being prepared, being aware. And the third thing is being willing. You see, our lives are so, so busy. We all have so much going on that we don't need something extra. But... If we are willing, we're able to slow ourselves down, we're able to, to listen, we're more likely to pray, and we're just more willing to say yes. I hope that those three, be prepared, be aware, and be willing, are things that we can all say that yes, we are willing to do. Darren, i been speaking a lot about how, as a church, we've done a fantastic job with Global Mission. And he's challenged us within the next year to really concentrate in stepping up in our local communities. Of looking to see what we can do with what's around us. In our own uh, homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Right even just around here within the church, what can we do? I pray that the story that I shared with you this morning is an encouragement. It has been for me. It's been a huge, huge faith builder. I didn't share this to, to brag about Uh, how Amber and I have been involved in any way possible. Let me tell you that along this journey, we have not always had the best attitude. We were tired. We were frustrated. But the good news is that God uses every single one of us where we are, not because we have it all figured out, but because he loves us enough to give us the opportunity to serve. So in closing today, I wanted to ask a question. Are you ready in case going into all the world just means simply willing to open the door to someone who's standing on your doorstep? If the answer is no, I challenge you this week to search your heart and to find out what you need to do to make yourself ready. If you're willing to say yes, every once in a while, you get to be a part of something like the story I shared with you. And I'd like to introduce you guys to Macy Moon, Howell, and her family. That's Graham, the first time we met her. This is actually the, the day after I talked to them. She did go home earlier than expected, and I found out that now she is about 10 pounds, and she's doing great. Isn't that a beautiful little family? (laughs) Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of an amazing story. I thank you for Macy Moon. I thank you for the love that she's already felt. God, I thank you for the journey that you're going to take her on in life. God, I pray for Grandma and Libby as parents. God, that you would use them to challenge her, to teach her, to show her love. God, we thank you for Melissa and Jay being willing to give this cute little baby up for adoption. God, thank you for saving this little baby. God, thank you for writing the story in every single one of our lives that's so much bigger than us. God, thank you that there are stories like this story with Macy and others all over the world that are so much bigger than anything that we could ever draw up. God, thank you for being in the details. God, for loving us where we are. God, as I pray, this morning and as we sit here and we challenge ourselves to be ready and prepared and willing God I pray that you would bring us opportunities God that when going into all the world standing at our doorsteps God that we are ready we are prepared hearts are ready to hear hear you God to follow you and God as a church would you give us more and more opportunities to love each other to love this community to love our neighbors, to love, our coworkers, and our families, God. Would you lead and guide us? And God, would you continue to be with Darren this week as he's in Israel? God? Would you give him revelation, God? Would you give him new word? Would you give him visions, God? Would you give him rest? We thank you for this opportunity, for what it means for him personally, for us as a church as well. Would you keep him safe, God? And would you give them lots of opportunities? to bless people along the way. And God, would you go before us this week? Would we find you in the little things, God? And Would we find moments to hear you and would we find rest in that? We ask our things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.